Thank you for tuning into a pre-Bowser World special pod. Um, obviously, it's going to be a different fair this year. I'm, I'm doing this live from my hotel just outside of the city. It's the night before press day, so it's Tuesday. I've had my uh, traditional pre-Bowser World meal of a lovely kebab. Um, a little, little travel tip from your pal Hanky here. Um, typically... When you go, you get a kebab. Uh, it's it's basically, I mean, I think in America what we kind of refer to as a as a as a gyro or gyro, depending on if you're trying to pronounce it correctly. Um, so in essence, you got some shaved brown meat, um, some they say salad, we would say lettuce, tomato, onion, and and in an interesting twist this year, corn, um, some yogurt sauce, and some hot spicy stuff. And you know they wrap it in a, either in a pita or kind of a wrap wrap, and and that's all well and good. Now, I was here last year, and I was at a smaller kebabery, and uh, sort of experiencing a pretty painful language gap, because while I'm literally minutes away from downtown Basel, where I stay might as well be another world, um, so English is not necessarily uh, frequently spoken around here, so you have to kind of struggle to make yourself known. Now, add to that that it was um, it was a particularly popular place, and frequently... Um, the two times I went last year and the two times I went the year before, they could really care less whether I got what I wanted or not. They just kind of want to, you know, serve you and get you out of there. So I struggled. And finally, you know, I realized that, of course, uh, and apologies in advance for mispronouncing it, but Palm uh, would probably be getting me close enough to fries. And I'm thinking that, okay, it's going to come with fries, you know, in a cup and I'm going to have I'm going to have my kebab wrap sandwich and everything's going to be good. And in fact, they wrapped the fries into the kebab. Now, first and foremost, that was wicked good. Um, so a little gastronomical tip when you're traveling on the cheaper, if you just got a craving uh, and you should find yourself having a kebab, that's actually quite a good way to have it. Um, another little cultural travel food gastronomy tip, typically Pittsburgh is where you'll find sandwiches, um, particularly roast beef sandwiches with the fries on the inside. I realize that probably there are other places that do it, but Pittsburgh was where I first experienced it. It was kind of a fun, kind of a fun deal. So um, that's kind of where we are. We're getting ready. We're going to launch. Today's topic is uh, about one of the old lions who recently retired, Jean-Claude Biver. And I'm going to basically be dipping into a previous podcast, uh, excuse me, a previous blog post, and I'm going to try to expand on it a little bit. Um, there has been a lot of discussion as to whether he really retired or not, whether he was forced out, whether he got the nudge, and, and truthfully, I've already had those conversations with other folks, and I, you know, really, it's, you know, at this point, it's, it's not really relevant. Uh, what is kind of relevant is what's the next step? Um, what is the impact going to be for the brands that, you know, despite what anybody would tell you that there are other managers? I mean, basically, it's Biver's show. So how they're going to do. And um, we're going to kind of take it from there. So once again, we're trying to keep this PG-13 and not too, um, not too laden with foul language. But you might hear the odd bad word or two. So if it is something you're sensitive to, you've been warned. We'll talk to you soon and we'll be right back. Okay, so we're back, and um, you know, topic is Jean-Claude Vivier, as it often is during Basel Week. Um, I'm gonna basically summarize what I'd written in a previous um, 
in a previous blog post. Uh, I think very much that really, in a sense, um, we're not really waiting for Basel World, we're waiting for Be There. And by that, I think that he represents um, such a force of personality uh, in the industry that it's maybe a little bit challenging for a lot of folks, and myself included, to kind of try and picture what the fair is going to be like without his presence here. And um, I thought, obviously, you know, as everybody's speculating, it's, it's almost a little bit like waiting for Godot. We always find something, eh, Didi? To give us the impression we exist? Yes, yes, we're magicians. And that's from Mr. Beckett's Waiting for Godot. So to be very clear, I'm, I'm not claiming to be a mind reader. I'm not a soothsayer, and I'm certainly not a knower of unknowable things. But I do like to think that I'm a pretty good judge of actions and what motivates those actions. And, you know, you can you can read a lot into the um, interview that Jean-Claude Biver did with Hourglass, one way or the other. But really kind of what I kept hearing between the lines was, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back and probably not coming back for LVMH. Now, want to be very clear that that could be complete codswallop and maybe he's firmly ensconced in his hotel ready to just go out, shake hands, pour coffee, kiss babies and, and be a figurehead uh, starting tomorrow. But, you know, I, for better or for worse, depending on you know, I realize that his health is sometimes a little bit dodgy and, you know, there are a lot of things going on and he might feel like it's time to move on one minute. Um, I think very often he's competing with he's competing with desires and the desires are internal and they have to do with, you know, what makes him happy. Um, so, you know, when I think about it, you know, this most recent one, I have to remind myself that, you know, we've been here before. It wasn't so, so very long ago that uh, Biver Upton announced again that he was retiring. He was going to be focusing on passing on his knowledge. And, you know, he, he gave this very philosophical, um, clear, very clearly canned response about, you know, how this, how life is divided into different stages. And he was now entering, you know, at least his work life, he was now entering the final stage where he's sharing everything that he learned. Well, you know, he, he is very much um, at the center of the watch universe, even though he's officially been separated for a little while now. But I think most of us are really not necessarily fully buying um, what was maybe being sold at the announcement of his retirement and that, in fact, he'd be letting go and just, again, be more of a figurehead. So, um, if, you know, if I were a betting man, I would bet that he's got something cooking. And if I were a P.T. Barnum kind of guy, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, you know, we're going to get this wild announcement tomorrow that he's popping up somewhere else. Um... I've, I've had a few conversations um, with Jean-Claude Biver in the past, and I think we've all got, uh, or at least a lot of us have, um, a particular Biver story. I'm not really going to share mine, uh, but it was, I think to me, it kind of shaped um, my opinion of, of him, uh, how he operates, and, you know, probably also illustrated to me why he's been as successful as he has been. Um with all of that being said, I I think it's really easy. Um, it's really easy to kind of take a, an extreme, like you either love him or you hate him. 
and I think that that's probably a bit short-sighted and I think that would probably be the work of a lazy journalist blogger or podcast or what have you uh, I think he's like all of us you know he's got a lot of complexities um, there's probably some good stuff maybe some not so good stuff um, but I think that he maybe in some ways even more than Nicholas Hayek is really the one who saved the mechanical um, and certainly the high-end mechanical watchmaking industry when he founded Blancpain. And by founded, I mean, I really do mean that in the truest sense of the word. You can argue that um, the brand had existed before, and certainly it had. You could argue that um, he had just resuscitated it. But really what he did, and which I think people now realize, is he created a segment and a desire for something that no one even knew existed. And that was, um, you know, basically taking a foundation myth and pumping it full of steroids and sending it out to run about. Um, you know, the foundation myth about Blancpain is, you know, since this year we never made a quartz watch and we never will. And, you know, true to their word, they, they never did. And, you know, I'm assuming they never will moving forward. Um, but at the time that, you know, you have to really understand that the industry was in crisis. Um, it would not be the time when I would think that you want to take a flyer on really what at best could be considered a speculative idea. Um, was it a huge amount of money? No. And in fact, if I understand it right, you know, some money was borrowed. But credit where credit is due, um, as David Letterman used to say, it was a crazy, it was such a crazy idea that it just might work. And it did. Um, worked so well, in fact, that um, the Swatch Group came in and bought it at one point and hired, uh, hired Biver to go and work there, where he took over Omega and um, did some amazing things there and um, then had stepped away and there was a lot of speculation about what he was going to do. There were some rumors he was going to go work for Frank Mueller and I'm sure that there were other people who saw it coming. I probably wasn't one of them. You know, suddenly it's announced that he's, the, you know, he's now involved with Hublot. Um, Hublot at that time, and I say this um, with really all respect to Carlo Croco, it was a brand that was neat and had some cachet appeal and had a lot of potential, but they had real communication problems. No one really knew how to talk about it. I sold a few when I was working at Tourneau and it, you know, it was a beautiful, nice classic watch, but if I'm very honest, it was very much, you know, you had to like the watch in and of itself and that was it because there certainly wasn't a lot of media to support it and there most certainly wasn't um, a lot of enthusiasm the way that you see it now. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I, I hate to say cheesy things like the rest is history, but to a large extent it was. Um, Hublot is certainly a watchmaking company, but I think more than that in my in my view, and I, I think it's safe to say some other folks too, it's almost as much as a media company as it is a watch company. Um, and I, I say that as a compliment because they've been able to, to a large extent, to write their own narrative. And, uh, and that narrative has been not only accepted, but embraced uh, by those of us in the so-called Cognoscetti who are writing about this stuff or disseminating the information. So, you know, when he retired again, Recently, you know, while he was still at the helm of Tag Heuer, and and really, if I'm honest, with Zenith, um, still not really even treading water. And I'm sure there are people going to disagree with me here, but truthfully, you know, I was on a tour, I was on a bus with two 
retailers in another country doing something completely different but watch related and they were talking about zenith and how essentially they had to you know their feeling was that they had to go pretty far south on the discount in order to move the stock um these were fairly large retail uh, operators who you know they sold a lot of watches but for whatever reason they felt like zenith was just a very challenging proposition for them and for their customers um, now, whether that's universally true, I have no idea. Um, for all I know, Zenith um, is, you know, selling selling like the proverbial hotcake, the waffle's sexier cousin. And and that all well could be, but I just don't really feel it in my heart. And Bieber said to some extent in another interview that Zenith was, to some extent, the one thing that he had found that was very challenging to kind of bend to his will and get it to succeed and and again in fairness to the man he's watch wise he's pretty much Midas you know he's he has the magic touch what he's touched is turned to gold um, and you can't really argue with success like that so now the real question becomes what's next because uh, some folks have a hard time quitting and stopping what they're doing and you know it would be great to say oh well he can focus on his cows and be a great farmer or he could, you know, take up watercolors or God knows what, and I just don't see it in him. Um, so we can think about a lot of what might have transpired and why we're here, um, but really, I, I think it's it's a little bit confusing for some folks because you know when when the word came out that he's retiring. Yeah, he didn't look good. He didn't sound good. And then suddenly, when he pops up in this interview with um, with the Hourglass, you know, not only does he look good, he looks Tony Robbins good. I mean, sparkle back in his eye, uh, looks healthy, sounds healthy. So, you know, whether or not um, it's just having a break has given him a new lease on life, I'm not really sure. But then, you know, the real questions start to become again when we have a situation where that we do that Basel world is you know on the ropes there's there's really no way to sugarcoat that swatch group has dropped out um a lot of other brands abandoned it and you know hall one even just using hall one is far from being full so the question for a lot of us is you know was there were there some secret meetings and there's going to be this big, huge announcement tomorrow that Jean-Claude Biver is doing, you know, X, Y, or Z. Whether whether or not that's going to happen, you know, I don't know. I think it would certainly add some excitement and some interest to this year's fair because truthfully, um, we're not really sure. Um, having kind of gone back over it again and again and again, you know, there were some people theorizing the idea that maybe Maybe Patek Philippe want to sell the brand and maybe in so doing and in order to make the new buyer accept that, they had to come up with some seasoned person who was going to shepherd the brand for a few years until someone else was developed and maybe that person was Jean-Claude Biver. And, and I like that particular story narrative and I've certainly, um, certainly poked that one with a stick a few times myself. And it's, it's a tough question because... Um, you know, for Patek to sell now, that would make perfect sense for Patek. You know, cash out while you've got the hot hand and you've got a lot of chips. Um, and, you know, that's that's the other thing is, you know, the current steward of the company, Mr. Stern the Younger, um, has made it pretty clear that his kids are just not interested in the family business. 
So in, in some ways, that's not necessarily unlike the Stas family when they sold Frederick Constant and Alpina. Um, it might be the time to walk away, you know, lay down your hand um, and call it a day and go on and do other things. Um, and for Mr. Stern, you know what? He, to a certain extent, was born into the business. This is, to a large extent, all that he's known. This is what he's done. And unlike Mr. Biver, maybe he is ready to move to Florida, put on some... <laughs> put on some Sansabelt slacks and some white shoes and go to the four o'clock early bird uh, buffet. I don't know. Uh, but I do think that there are those in the business who can live without it. And I'm not entirely sure um, where Mr. Bivere falls on their spectrum. But um, it would not surprise me if tomorrow there is some kind of an announcement. What that announcement is going to be again, and I know this is getting repetitive, we'll have to wait and see. Um, so that's a bit of a teaser. Um, tomorrow's the big day. We're going to be trying to podcast daily. We have kind of an exciting guest coming up on Thursday. I don't really want to give too much more away about it, um, but it should be good. And again, once more, thank you for tuning in. This is a bit of a truncated, abbreviated, um, a t- little, little brief bite of, of the podcast but we'll be picking up the ball and running with it full steam starting tomorrow. So thanks again. And until then, Tempest Fujit. So good morning. We're live from Basel World. It is the first official day of the fair, which is Thursday. It's your old pal Hanky here. And today's kind of a real treat for me. Um, I've been a huge, huge, huge fan of Gerard Perigo for years, uh, from the time that I lived in Europe till I moved back to the States. And probably, I, I maybe I'm kind of a, a romantic, but I've always been um, almost envious, I would say, of the Macaloso family, um, everything that they've done. I've been in this business now both as a distributor, as a retailer, um, now as a journalist, and I've seen, let's say, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But these are folks that generally I think there's a, a, a genuinely high opinion of. Um, so it's really my great pleasure this morning to spend a few minutes with Stefano Macaloso, who's been kind enough to take uh, to squeeze me out a little bit of his valuable time. So Stefano, welcome to, to, to Hanky Time. We're really glad to have you. Uh, it's fantastic to be here, and thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, thank, thanks so much. So um, Stefano, maybe... I, I know that a lot of us have heard about your dad. We read about your dad, and this is mostly about you, by the way. Yeah, yeah, of course. But obviously, it would be hard for me to to ask some questions without getting a little bit of your thoughts about, you know, what what kind of a guy was your dad like? We know what he was like as a businessman, but what was he like as a father? I think he was one of the most sophisticated men I ever met. Uh, of course, uh, a teacher and a master for me. Uh, he. Um, uh, he had a very special um, attitude uh, in uh, in uh, in design. I think watches uh, and uh, it's with a very global culture uh, coming from Italy and then with a huge respect of uh, uh, Swiss watchmaking. He was able to combine both sides. So um, his aesthetical approach was typically Italian, and then he had a huge respect uh, and a good way also to develop uh, what was the tradition of Swiss making. Uh, in a very uh, genuine and integrate way. So um, he has a huge culture. Culture. He uh, he was very um, 
interested in everything uh, in, in, in details, let's say. He was fascinated by all kinds of arts. Uh, and then, thanks to this attitude, uh, he was able to, to make beautiful watches. Okay, well, thank you so much for that. Um, one of the things that always fascinated me was just how much of a family affair Gerard Perigo was. And we often say the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. And I think in this case, obviously, um, you know, after the unfortunate passing of your father, um, you were able to carry on and pick up and, and not just maintain what Gerard Perigo was doing. You really helped propel it forward. Um, so maybe a, a little bit about you. How did you get involved in watchmaking? Because my understanding is your, your education was in something different. My education was in architecture. So I, I was a very... A uh, special way to end my my um, uh, my, my architecture uh, um, time, because my very f uh, last exam uh, examination uh, in architecture in university in Italy was about watchmaking. So I designed the watch and I made a, like a big book dedicated to watch design, and then was very unusual for for my professors, but they accepted and then they they thought it was uh, it was it was interesting for them. Then in 2002, I started working in uh, in, in GP, and uh, I've been connected with with the brand for 15 years, even after uh, my family sold the company. Mm -hmm. So let, let's say uh, from my learning time was from 2002, 2003 up to 2010. Then my father passed away, uh, and then was, we were already in contact with with a group who, who took uh, the, the the brand. It was at the time. Uh, um, but let's say this is an actual uh, curing group. And then uh, I've been in, in charge of uh, uh, product development until last year. Okay. So I, I know it's hard to, to pick a favorite child. Um, but if you, if you had to, if you were forced, what's your favorite GP? Probably the, the GP I, I designed, I prefer, is the family called the Neo, uh, Neo Turbion. Okay. That's why, uh, you know, it's with a very strong icon like the uh, Three Bridges Turbion in GP, it's very difficult to, uh, to give a second life uh, to this kind mm -hmm. of, uh, of, uh, of uh, masterpiece. And then with a very architectural approach, uh, I redesigned the bridges. So the, the layout, the architecture of the Turbion is, was always the same, but I really redesigned a much more architectural approach, uh, which much, much more uh, 3D uh, um, uh, uh, design of it and uh, and then was most inspired by contemporary architecture uh, let's say like Santiago Calatrava uh, architectures mm -hmm. we have samples in the USA or in Europe it's, it's very popular architecture and then I think the, the new turbine was really a new chapter for for the brand let's say if my father focused most on uh, um, let's say uh, uh, casing uh, design and about uh, um, classic uh, designs from the 90s and the year 2000 first with Ferrari then with a full collection of uh, different watches uh, in my own approach uh, I was more focused on movements mm -hmm. uh, that's why I pay so much attention about uh, movement architecture probably also uh, uh, because I was originally an architect, so uh, that's why. You... Oh, of course. All right. So moving away from watches a little bit, yep. um, I am one of your many Instagram fans. Um, I follow your adventures all over the world. Yep. Um, as I've shared with some other people in the industry, um, as now you know, my my understanding is you're no longer with GP, and you're kind of doing some other things, which we'll talk about in a second. But what? How do you pick where to go next? Because you always seem to be going on a fantastic adventure somewhere. 
but it's my everybody has its own uh, addiction and my addiction <laughs> is probably uh, uh, to travel uh, and um, I have many inspiration. Uh, I'm a fanatic of uh, movies, so uh, probably I watched a movie 30 years ago and I, uh, I wish to, to go in the same place where, where the movie was shoot. And then also I love literature and comics. And I think most of these trips are inspired by these uh, influences. Okay, interesting. So, favorite place you've ever visited? Uh, well, it's difficult to say. Probably the best memories I have are uh, Central Asia, uh-huh. like uh, Uzbekistan, uh, really? and then uh, from Uzbekistan to Mongolia, these uh, this kind of places. And then another place I loved was Ethiopia. Okay, interesting. So, talk about now. You know, obviously you're no longer with GP, and I have to be honest, GP doesn't seem like GP <laughs> without one of the family there. But of course, uh, it's, it's a company with two uh, centuries of history, and of course there are changes. Uh, sure. I think it's already uh, a quite uh, it's a very special. It's quite a miracle that GP had so few ownership uh, during two centuries. We talk about maybe uh, five or six families or group owning Gerard mm-hmm. Perego in, in two centuries, and, and, and this is great. Of course, uh, in the history, uh, do you have turning points for the company? Sure. Um, I I was very happy to work with Caring Group for, uh, let's say, eight years in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, and they gave me the opportunity to to express my creativity from uh, 2012 uh, and 2018, and then uh, we made great projects all together. Uh, of course, for me, was the time to, to leave, and of course, uh, probably also the company. Uh, they, uh, I mean, I was officially a, a product development uh, a director, but uh, in reality, I was kind of a, a, a creative director for 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 the brand. Uh, I'm a designer, and mm-hmm. then uh, and also was involved in the strategical choices for for the new right. collections as well. Um, of course, I will be not anymore there, and then probably they will take other uh, decision. But I think Gerard Perego has very strong uh, historical designs, and I think if uh, they will, and I, I think they will, uh, uh, take care about this kind of heritage, uh, they will be successful. And then, of course, introducing also innovation and new. Uh, sure. Okay, wonderful. So, last qu- well, two more questions then. Yeah, um, who else out there apart from Gerard Perego? is making watches that really speak to you. Who, sorry? Yeah, let me repeat the question. So, apart from Gerard Perigo, what are some other watch brands or watch models out there that really speak to you personally? Uh, It really depends on uh, different segments. Uh, uh, Probably for very classical watches with super finishing, I love uh, Elang and Zona, Mm -hmm. definitely. And I think for more contemporary uh, approach, uh, I think Max Busser is doing a, a, a great job. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Also with uh, totally, you know, there are main trends uh, in watchmaking. To, I think in the last five years, many brands really focus on only on their iconic watches. Right. So the idea we have uh, a guy designing something totally different, uh, and then and. It's, it's, a, it's good. It's, it's healthy for, 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 uh, for this. Uh, and then Max is doing very well, I think. Okay, wonderful. So last question then. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, if you could do anything in the world, what would it be? Uh, I will uh, go ahead with my uh, designer uh, uh-huh. learning. So probably, uh, most probably, I will 
uh, again I will uh, I will uh, never stop with watches but uh, I'm also crazy about cars aha <laughs> so uh, I've kind of uh, I've two three projects also in in motorsport and cars okay uh, so probably we'll start soon a cooperation with uh, with the car manufacturer uh, wonderful as well so you'll keep us posted about that uh, absolutely okay absolutely. And then, of course, we have also the family collection, and then mm -hmm. we'll we'll promote it, and then probably we'll make a so exhibition of this car collection in the future. Fantastic. Well, sir, I thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate yes, you joining us. Um, so that's it for now. Uh, we're going to be potting all day, all week. Um, so please stay tuned. And until then, Tempest Fujit. Test, test. We are testing. This is a test. So good morning. We're live from Basel World. It is the first official day of the fair, which is Thursday. It's your old pal Hanky here. And today's kind of a real treat for me. Um, I've been a huge, huge, huge fan of Gerard Perigo for years, uh, from the time that I lived in Europe till I moved back to the States. And probably, I, I maybe I'm kind of a, a romantic, but I've always been... Um, almost envious, I would say, of the Macaloso family, um, everything that they've done. I've been in this business now both as a distributor, as a retailer, um, now as a journalist, and I've seen, let's say, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But these are folks that generally I think there's a, a, a genuinely high opinion of. Um, so it's really my great pleasure this morning to spend a few minutes with Stefano Macaloso, who's been kind enough to take uh, to squeeze me out a little bit of his valuable time. So Stefano, welcome to, to, to Hanky Time. We're really glad to have you. Uh, it's fantastic to be here and thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, thank, thanks so much. So um, Stefano, maybe I, I know that a lot of us have heard about your dad, we read about your dad, and this is mostly about you by the way. Yeah, yeah of course. But obviously it would be hard for me to, to ask some questions without getting a little bit of your thoughts about, you know, what, what kind of a guy was your dad like? We know what he was like as a businessman, but what was he like as a father? I think he was one of the most sophisticated men I ever met. Uh, of course, uh, a teacher and a master for me. Uh, he, um, uh, he had a very special um, attitude in... Uh, in, uh, in design, I think, watches, uh, and uh, it's with a very global culture, uh, coming from Italy and then with a huge respect of uh, uh, Swiss watchmaking, he was able to combine both sides. So um, his aesthetical approach was typically Italian, and then he had a huge respect uh, and a good way also to develop uh, what was the tradition of Swiss making. Uh, in a very uh, genuine and integrated way. So um, he has a huge culture. Culture. He uh, he was very um, interested in everything uh, in, in in details. Let's say he was fascinated by all kind of arts. Uh, and then, thanks to this attitude, uh, he was able to to make beautiful watches. Okay, well, thank you so much for that. Um, one of the things that always fascinated me was just how much of a family affair Gerard Perigo was. And we often say the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. And I think in this case, obviously, um, you know, after the unfortunate passing of your father, um, you were able to carry on and pick up and, and not just maintain what Gerard Perigo was doing. You really helped propel it forward. Um, so maybe... A, a little bit about you. How did you get involved in watchmaking? Because my understanding is your your education was in something different. My education was in architecture, so it was a very uh, special way to end my my um, 
my, my, my architecture uh, um, time because my very f uh, last exam uh, examination uh, in architecture in university in Italy was about watchmaking. So I designed the watch and I made a, like a big book dedicated to watch design and then was very unusual for for my professors, but they accepted and then they they thought it was uh, it was it was interesting for them. Then in 2002, I started working in uh, in, in GP, and uh, I've been connected with with the brand for 15 years, even after uh, my family sold the company. Mm -hmm. So let, let's say uh, from my learning time was from 2002, 2003 up to 2010. Then my father passed away, uh, and then was, we were already in contact with with a group who, who took uh, the, the the brand. It was at the time. Uh, um, but let's say this is an actual uh, curing group, and then uh, I've been in in charge of uh, uh, product development until last year. Okay, so I, I know it's hard to to pick a favorite child, um, but if you if you had to, if you were forced, what's your favorite GP? Probably the, the GP I I designed I prefer is the family called the Neo uh, Neo Turbion. Okay. That's why, uh, you know, it's with a very strong icon like the uh, Three Bridges Turbion in GP, it's very difficult to, uh, to give a second life uh, to this kind mm -hmm. of, uh, of, uh, of uh, masterpiece. And then with a very architectural approach, uh, I redesigned the bridges. So the, the layout, the architecture of the Turbion is, was always the same, but I really redesigned a much more architectural approach, uh, which much, much more uh, 3D uh, um, uh, 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 design of it, and uh, and then it was most inspired by contemporary architecture. Uh, let's say like Santiago Calatrava uh, architectures. Mm -hmm. We have samples in the USA or in Europe. It's, it's very popular architecture. And then I think the, the new turbine was really a new chapter for for the brand. Let's say if my father focused most on uh, um, let's say uh, uh, casing uh, design and about uh, um, classic uh, designs from the 90s and the year 2000, first with Ferrari, then with a full collection of uh, different watches. Uh, in my own approach, uh, I was more focused on movements. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I pay so much attention about uh, movement architecture. Probably also uh, because I was originally an architect, so uh, that's why. Oh, of course. All right. So, moving away from watches a little bit, yep. um, I am one of your many Instagram fans. Um, I follow your adventures all over the world. Yep. Um, as I've shared with some other people in the industry, um, as now, you know, my my understanding is you're no longer with GP, and you're kind of doing some other things, which we'll talk about in a second. But what? How do you pick where to go next? Because you always seem to be going on a fantastic adventure somewhere. But it's my. Everybody has its own addiction, and my addiction <laughs> is probably uh, to travel. And um, I have many inspiration. Uh, I'm a fanatic of uh, movies, so uh, probably I watched a movie 30 years ago, and I. Uh, I wish to, to go in the same place where, where the movie was shoot. And then also I love literature and comics. And I think most of these trips are inspired by these uh, influences. Okay, interesting. So, favorite place you've ever visited? Uh, well, it's difficult to say. Probably the best memories I have are uh, Central Asia. Uh -huh. Like uh, Uzbekistan, uh, really? and then uh, from Uzbekistan to Mongolia, this, uh, this kind of places. And then another place I loved was Ethiopia. Okay, interesting. So, 
talk about now? You know, obviously you're no longer with GP, and I have to be honest, GP doesn't seem like GP <laughs> without one of the family there. But of course, uh, it's, it's a company with two uh, centuries of history, and of course there are changes. Uh, sure, I think it's already uh, a quite uh, it's a very special. It's quite miracle that GP had so few ownership uh, during two centuries. We talk about maybe uh, five or six families or group owning Gerard mm-hmm. Perego in, in two centuries, and, and, and this is great. Of course, uh, in the history, uh, do you have turning points for the company? Sure. Um, I I was very happy to work with Caring Group for, uh, let's say, eight years in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, um, they gave me the opportunity to to express my creativity from uh, 2012 uh, and 2018, and then uh, we made great projects all together. Uh, of course, for me, was the time to, to leave, and of course, uh, probably also the company. Uh, they, uh, I mean, I was officially a, a product development uh, a director, but uh, in reality, I was kind of a, a, a creative director for 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 the brand. Uh, I'm a designer, and mm-hmm. then uh, and also was involved in the strategical choices for for the new right. collections as well. Um, of course, I will be not anymore there, and then probably they will take other uh, decision. But I think Gerard Perego has very strong uh, historical designs, and I think if uh, they will, and I, I think they will, uh, uh, take care about this kind of heritage, uh, they will be successful. And then, of course, introducing also innovation and new. Uh, sure. Okay, wonderful. So, last qu- well, two more questions then. Yeah, um, who else out there apart from Gerard Perego? is making watches that really speak to you. Who, sorry? Yeah, let me repeat the question. So, apart from Gerard Perigo, what are some other watch brands Uh or watch models out there that really speak to you personally? Uh, It really depends on uh, different segments. Uh, Probably for very classical watches with super finishing, I love uh, Elang and Zona, Mm -hmm. definitely. And I think for more contemporary uh, approach, uh, I think Max Busser is doing a, a, a great job. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So with uh, totally, you know, there are main trends uh, in watchmaking. To, I think in the last five years, many brands really focus on only on their iconic watches. Right. So the idea we have uh, a guy designing something totally different, uh, and then and. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's healthy for, 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 for this. Uh, and then Max is doing very well, I think. Okay, wonderful. So last question then. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, if you could do anything in the world, what would it be? Uh, I will uh, go ahead with my uh, designer uh, uh-huh. learning. So probably, uh, most probably, I will... Again, I will, uh, I will uh, never stop with watches, but uh, I'm also crazy about cars. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, I've kind of uh, I've two, three projects also in, in motorsport and cars. Okay. Uh, so probably we'll start soon a cooperation with uh, with the car manufacturer. Uh, Wonderful. As well. So you'll keep us posted about that. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then, of course, we have also the family collection, and then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll promote it, and then probably we'll make an exhibition of this car collection in the future. Fantastic. Well, sir, I thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate yes, you joining us. Um, so that's it for now. Uh, we're going to be potting all day, all week. Um, so please stay tuned. And until then, Tempest Fujit. We need a level. We're trying to get a level. Are you recording? Are you recording?
Okay, good morning and welcome to a special Basel World Pod. This is Hanky from Hanky Time, and I'm really excited today. Ordinarily, Basel World, I gotta be honest, by Sunday I could take it or leave it, and I wish I was already back home. But today is special uh, because we have the new the new three musketeers, the dynamic force that's driving Fortis and taking it forward. Um, so it's, it should be a great episode today. So stay tuned, hang in there, we're gonna be right back. Okay, good morning. We are live from the Hyperion, home of the hype, Basel Week 2019. And today I've got uh, three of the key players behind one of, I think, the love story, triumph, feel good story of the year. Uh, gentlemen, if you could take a moment and introduce yourselves because I want to make sure I get all the names correct. Hi, my name is Andreas. I am the marketing manager at Fordis in Grantian. Hey guys, my name is Lawrence. I'm the CEO of uh, Fortis. Uh, evidently also in uh, Grenkin and happy to be you with you. Hi, my name is Jupp. I'm the new owner of Fortis since last September. Okay, so there we go. All the introductions are out of the way. Now we can roll up our sleeves and get down to it. Sir, new owner, I'm curious. You look like a sound, rational, healthy and happy man. Yes. Why, in the name of all that's good and holy, did you get involved in the watch business? Um, I'm original from the fruit business and after many years and after 20 years in the fruit business it's, get, it's becoming boring talking about strawberries so that's why I, I took a, a new adventure and I'm a long time Fortis fan now since 15 years I bought my first Fortis 2004 it was a cosmonaut in Titan and, and that's, for me it was an amazing story so I would like to join the company Okay, wonderful. And you, sir? Well, I've been uh, with the company since around about four years now. So I know a bit of the old story and now I'm really looking forward to bring back the brand to where it should be. <laughs> Fantastic. And Lawrence, and I, I actually need to add an interjection here. Lawrence, I consider, and I hope he feels the same way, but I consider Lawrence a really good friend. Uh, we've worked together in previous capacities. Probably one of the nicest people you ever meet in the watch brand business. Uh, so I'm actually really pleased that he's agreed to come in and share with us today. But over to you, Lawrence. Well, thanks. Thanks you. Same for me. Well, I, I met uh, Joop and I uh, was convinced that uh, together we can uh, make something. And then uh, uh, met Andreas and uh, at the end we also have uh, Dario. And so we are a great team and good experience. Uh, I look back on 20 years watch business. I was with Mido and uh, Tissot, managing uh, Tissot Swiss market at the end and uh, now uh, managing Fortis will be a great adventure and America definitely a huge market potential and the, all over the world we will be again strong back and we have a great team and uh, with that I'm convinced we can build up something in the long term. Okay, fantastic and you know I need to get this out of the way early. Um, you did mention America and we Previously, at, at some points, we had a great market space for Fortis, and Fortis has a huge following in the United States and in Canada. And I'm not going to lie, uh, maybe about 10 years ago, we started not to see as much of Fortis as we would have liked it. You know, it wasn't, I guess maybe probably the emphasis wasn't there, and we didn't, obviously you didn't have an awesome marketing guy like you do now. Um, so. Me personally, from a selfish perspective, I'm really excited to see Fortis coming back to North America. Um, what do you think? You know, what do you think maybe is going to help drive the market space there? 
<laughs> but definitely we need we need to be consequent we need to be there we need uh, time and uh, everything what we do we think only in the long term and I think that is the right thing to do if you make just one shot deals and uh, you just look about uh, one week then uh, you will not succeed and if America we will come uh, in uh, September with the Reno air show and uh, step by step we will have more presence in America and this is the same all over the world. We just met yesterday with our Japanese uh, guys and uh, we, in every country we are, we try to improve our bases and uh, not uh, accelerate with a huge investment immediately, but uh, over the next five years. And that's, I think, the good way to go, step by step, but uh, every year. Okay, and so I'll interject because you have a great new tagline. I mean, I don't know how new it is, but it's new to me, and I'm gonna. I'm hoping I get it right. It's hashtag We need more space. Did yeah. I get it right? Yeah. How did you, I mean? I'm sorry, but that is so atypical, and it's really cool. What was the inspiration? Well, actually, a funny fact is that's not my subline. <laughs> it's made by our you, new. You, you can take credit. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna forward the credit to our sales manager, who's, who's Dario, and he came up with that you know, more or less spontaneous uh, tagline. And the idea behind it is, um, of course, we're doing space watches, but on the other hand, there's like you know, places like Basel World, which is at the moment not really affordable for us <laughs> or makes sense for us, let's say it that way. But um, in the end of the day, we all need more space. So um, we said we're going to approach the whole space theme and yeah, we try to be a bit more fun in the industry. That's, that's, that's one of the main approaches. So. No, and it's fantastic because obviously um, everyone is very familiar with NASA and Apollo 13 and blah, 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 blah. And, and that's great. You know, Omega has a very nice story. But me personally, um, I've always been obsessed by cosmonauts, like Yuri Gagarin. And really, I always sort of felt like they were a little bit more ambitious, a little more rough and ready, a little bit more no-nonsense. Let's just do it, right? We're not going to shine it up and make it pretty and perfect. Want to go to space? Yeah, let's go to space. Boom. <laughs> and I bring this up because when I visited you guys at Grenchen at the factory a few days ago, you were showing me some of the new watches. And I don't know which one of the three of you mentioned it, but that really it's, it's not supposed to be this beautiful, pretty, elegant, dainty timepiece. <laughs> maybe, maybe the new owner can tell us a bit about that. Um, so we don't call it timepiece, we call it time machine. That's a great tagline. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it is. No, just to, just to be honest, we don't want to do shiny, uh, glimmering watches. We we want to to produce watches for eternity. They have to work in twenty years. Uh, so and we do, we do not follow trends. We we want to do something for for which works in any time and everywhere. So that's this is the main target for for our watches to to prepare. So this is. Uh, the main idea also behind the, the Amadeo watch you saw, the black one. Uh -huh. So this is uh, pre prepared for the next Mars mission. Um, uh, yeah, this is the main idea, just to do watches, works every time, anywhere. Anything to add? Yeah, it's about, it's about the, the reliability and I think the, we want to get our watches uh, space proven at the end of the day. And long-termly, we're thinking about getting them Mars-proven. So um, we are already starting with um, some analog missions here on Earth to, you know, more or less um, 
built a reflection of Mars in, on, on planet Earth to see whether our watches can withstand and also to develop future Mars watches. So we don't know when they're going to Mars, um, but we believe that one day if they're going to Mars, and they will, um, they're going to ask for the Fortis watch to be on their wrist. That's one of the very important things we're working on. So, I, I mean, I have to be honest, I'm a, I'm a romantic. I'm kind of a hopeless romantic about the watch business. And I started out life working for Doxa. And I think a lot of um, a lot of people have this idea that it's all crusty old men with, you know, their little, their little eyepiece going hand by hand, one by one. But when I first met Lawrence, when I visited August Ramon, I... I fell in love with two things. I fell in love with the watches, of course. That had happened a long time ago. But I fell in love with the factory. Now, admittedly, uh, Tramelon is not a hot tourist destination. Um, but there was something about that space and about the people working there. And I kind of fell in love again when I visited Grenchen. I had that same feeling of this beautiful building and, and people who really were acting not necessarily just for themselves, but for the best interest of the brand and for their colleagues and co-workers and for their customers ultimately. And I really felt that um, in the time that I was visiting. What do you think is the special sauce that the new Fortis is, has and is going to continue to have that maybe some brands don't? I think it's that. It's just the passion. <laughs> passion is, I think, the key word. I come from Swatch Group. I was an employee at the Swatch Group. And uh, you work for something, you work for salary, but at Fortis we work for passion. We, we have uh, not an eight hour day, we, we work much longer. And, it's 14 hours. Uh, yeah, and uh, we are a great team and have fun together and uh, very long discussions until we come to a conclusion uh, in the same way that everybody can uh, stand for that. And I think that shows passion and this is what we can reflect then also in the market. It's clear if you see the watch in the window, you don't see this passion. You see it in perhaps hopefully in our interview or when uh, in medias you see us or all the people visiting us. So also our watchmakers are uh, it's a great team and they are motivated to work. They get new devices. We just invested uh, 100,000 in new machines to make a perfect production and uh, all that stuff helps to bring up Fortis and uh, to show our passion what we live. This, I think this is the main, the main thing behind Fortis because now at the moment we are 13 people. We feel like a family. We are working like a family. We have a good team. We have a lot of fun, and uh, everybody is loving what we are doing. So I hope this is would be the, the small thing which is different to all the other brands. Okay, it's about the exactly like you know family owned, absolutely independent. We can do whatever we want, yeah. and still. We never closed the doors for more than 107 years. So, and, and that's kind of a, you know, major fact if you look at other watch brands, you know, who've been, you know, locked up for 25 years and now you know, back out of the draw. And that's kind of, you know, and then Dupuis, whatever, you know. <laughs> we try to find some some new ways. Okay, so that's why we want to go to the Mars because nobody was there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, was, I shared with all of you when I met you back on, oh, was it only on Tuesday? It seems like years ago now <laughs> with Basel World. But um, I first was introduced to Fortis when I was living in Helsinki just by accident. I wandered into a shopping area and they had the Cosmonaut collection and it was really cool and really neat. So it was very exciting for me. I mean, granted, I'm 50 years old. I should have outgrown this type <laughs> of uh, boyhood enthusiasm. 
well, actually, when I got to see the collection in person. Now, one thing that was really interesting was our discussion about straps. And I now have to be a bigger man and a bigger person and admit that I was wrong. And I want to give all of you listeners a little bit of background. My belief is that a strap should be squared and easy and it goes on and off and that way you can interchange and it's blah, 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 blah. And I will say, first and foremost, these three gentlemen listened to me. They didn't tell me I was an idiot, they didn't throw me out, and they heard me out. And they said, well, try this one. So they actually let me test drive um, one of the new, I, I'm calling it the Mars mission, I don't know if that's yeah. a fair way to call it, yeah. but one of the new pieces, and it had a warm-fitting strap. Mm -hmm. Funny story, um, it was probably the most comfortable watch I've worn in a long time. It's not a small, <laughs> dainty thing, it's actually a big, rugged watch. And all of the other journalists that I showed it to in the press room, I mean, it almost got stolen a couple of times, but luckily I got it back. They said the same thing. So clearly you guys have um, put a little bit more thought into this. Is, can you tell me a little bit about, without going into obviously company secrets, but sort of the design process and how you come to consensus about decisions? It's, I think the main thing for you know, integrating the strap into the case and building a rugged case, I would say, um, is to create something that's where you get the feeling, or you're not only getting the feeling, you get uh, the security that it's well secured on your wrist. It's not about you know having these you know kind of dressy watches and then a tiny strap to it. You have a machine there, and the machine needs to be secured safely. So that's how we that's why we integrate the strap into the watch, and I think that makes a huge difference to many brands. And, and I think that it fits really well on the wrist, and I think that's that's. One of the main things, obviously, Fortis is also well known for, for the integrated straps. So that's something we definitely want to continue and extend. Okay. This is one of the, the main thing what I always loved on Fortis was the integrated strap. Because it's much more comfortable. You, you already told it. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody believes, but yes, yeah. it is more comfortable than in a, a straight strap. So that's why I made the decision, okay, I want to do integrated straps for the future. Mm -hmm. And with Fortis we do watches for uh, independent doers and uh, <laughs> so it's integrated strap but also with a screw and a screwdriver you can uh, exchange your strap. So uh, that is also one of the special elements of Fortis. Okay, so basically not a watch for sheep but rather for independent people with it's their own a, ideas. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. You can use it. Use it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, gentlemen, I know that you've got a lot of meetings and things are going to be busy, um, but I really want to thank all three of you for taking the time to come in and join me and to share your thoughts with, with all the desperate souls out there listening to Hanky Time. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll try to have something else back up for you within a day or two. And until then, Tempest Fuji.